Yeah, so good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to today's Strategy Cafe, um, which we have titled Doing Something With Nothing. So really today's podcast is going to be all about the topic of waste. Um, how are we wasteful in organisation? Where can we look for inefficiencies? What are the different ways we consider waste? And, you know, let's think about some of the approaches that we can adopt to. So today's strategy cafe is slightly different. Um, one, um, I will be interviewing my colleagues, Nick, who's here, um, and Matt, who's next to me. And we, I'll introduce them in a second, um, but it's just lovely that we're all actually in the same room today. So we have been doing this uh, virtually since it started way back. Um, and this is probably the first strategy cafe that has, we've all done in the same room. So um, it's um, what a pleasure to all be together. Um, so what's on the agenda today? Uh, we're going to be looking at the different ways to consider waste. We're going to be thinking about how we can tackle those. Um, we've got some interesting conversations that both um, Nick and Matt want to have with you. Um, we're on Zoom and we've changed it to Zoom today because we want it to be a bit more interactive with you guys. So if you have any questions, thoughts, then please just pop in the chat area. Um, and um, at the end, we'll be able to have Q and A. So rather than typing those questions, if you feel brave enough, we can unmute you and uh, you can ask it live. Um, so hopefully you uh, like this sort of new interaction and uh, thank you very much for noticing the shift from GoToWebinar to Zoom. So uh, let's get started then. So let's just get into introductions. I'll introduce myself. So um, my name is Rosanna. Um, I am a strategy facilitator uh, working a lot with um, all different types of organisations, family businesses, uh, private equity back but you know this conversation of waste comes up a lot how can we do things uh, more efficiently how can we be more creative um, but that not waste our time and I think it's a constant tension that we have as a you know as facilitators and as leaders of organizations you know we're constantly trying to drive out waste so it's um, a topic that comes up in every single business that we work with um, because it's just there um, regardless of the sector um, so uh, that's um, sort of my background. Um, Nick, you want to say a few words? Morning, everybody. Um, I'm Nick Makey. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the founder of Alembic, um, and um, uh, we're nearly at the end of our sixth year, which seems unbelievable. Um, you can see a little bit of my background there, my my um, my, my bio, my uh, my key sort of passion or value within Alembic is uh, the idea of embodying. Um, and embodying is when the mind and the body come together. Um, and so part of my contribution today is to talk about how that relates to waste, um, uh, which yeah, I'll tell you a little bit more about in a minute. Uh, hi, everyone. Good to see everyone on this morning. Uh, I'm Matt, one of our senior strategy facilitators and client managers at Lembic. You can see a bit my, about my background on there as well. Um, although I come from a healthcare background, I work with leaders across all sectors um, with some of their most difficult problems, uh, definitely in, including waste. And I'll talk a little bit about what we see most commonly in some of the frameworks we use to deal with that um, later on as well. Thank you, Faith. Um, so let's get straight into it. So um, I think 
you know, what do we waste in businesses? We waste um, time, we waste money, we waste resources, we waste opportunities. Um, and I think as business confidence starts to rise, so too does demand, but we're um, experiencing issues with supply, um, hiring, um, hybrid working has added an extra complexity. And these are all contributing factors to inefficiencies, underutilization and waste. Um, so what do we need to consider? Um, a nice way of defining waste is any activity that does not result in adding value to the final output. So that gets you thinking about what are the activities, what are the processes, what are the um, things that you are doing, your behaviours that are not resulting in any added value activity. And then the second part of this is about that final output. So are you clear on your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Have you properly defined that output? So we need to be thinking about both of those things, the activities and behaviors that we are um, doing, but also what our goals. And it was really interesting. We were having a conversation about actually um, what are our goals? Um, um, and what are the different goals that um, organizations might have? And I think in this time of, um, you know, uh, we've all somewhat pivoted, um, are you trying to achieve more with more? So are you going for growth? Are you trying to achieve more with slightly less? So you're going for efficient scale. Um, or are you just trying to achieve less by doing less? And actually you're trying to consolidate. So there are different ways that we can think about our goals. And then when we think about waste, you know, a conventional, we have these conventional approaches. So we have diagnostics, we have lean, we have agile. Um, and all these sort of methodologies. Um, but it is um, interesting when we were talking about this as a team, and that's all really good stuff, by the way, it's all really, really good, proper stuff. But when we were talking about this, um, Nick, um, and for those of you who know Nick, you might not actually be surprised that he came up with this sort of abstract idea of actually it being about cognitive waste and thinking about how our brain is the source of um, waste. So let's start the conversation there. Um, and Nick, perhaps you just want to talk about what you mean by cognitive waste. Yeah, okay. Um, so um, um, thanks very much, Rosanna. Um, that's great. I, um, uh, as you say, when we normally talk about waste in organisations, we kind of have a kind of process orientation. And I think there's a difference when you're thinking about how we organise our waste um, in uh, the organization and how we talk to an individual. So the individual conversation is all about time management and how they're paying attention and what are the distractions and what are their priorities and are they overwhelmed? And then the organization conversation is about process. So it's about you know batch size, it's about um, errors, it's about communication, it's about defects. But these are really curious because they're very different conversations. But when you think about people working together in a team, um, actually that first conversation about the individual, you're really just looking at um, a collection of individuals. So why is it not a conversation about the team's time management and about the team's uh, cognitive availability to their priorities and the mm -hmm. team's ability to work as a unit to create a, a shared mind, if you like, a mind that works across the whole process and is coordinating across the whole process and so therefore, what are the distractions for everybody and how is everybody coordinating their attention to try and get final output across the team? I just think it's curious. Um, 
that um, we talk about these things from a very different perspective. Mm. Um, and um, here, I think you have to understand what the brain is. So the brain is homeostatic, it's entropic, it likes to run at six watts. Um, and it gets very uncomfortable, it gets hot if, it, if it's made to work harder than six watts. Um, so what it does is it eats up our behavior and turns it into patterns. And it doesn't care about whether those patterns are any good or not. It doesn't care whether they're useful or not useful. What it wants to do is it wants to optimize. So any behavior that we're repeating, it will turn into habit and it'll just automate it so it becomes unconscious. So question to everybody, over the last 18 months, we've had this incredible disruptive period. And, you know, first of all, COVID and all of the responses to that. And then now coming out of COVID with hybrid working and disruption and a loss of all of our frames of reference because we're all working from home. We can't see each other so easily. All of that going on and then disruption to trade as you know, parts of the market been growing and not growing and trying to find products and not being able to get products. Generally, things being just more hot emotionally because of the, you know, the period of difficulty that we've all been through. All of that is in the pot. And our experience of clients is that's like a, it's become like a, a suffocation of the mind. And people have just tried, so far as we can make out, to rise to those challenges and just try and cope with it without perhaps asking, you know, what should we be doing? And taking that moment to try and, you know, take a step back and think about, you know, what, what are we spending our time on? Mm are we collectively focused on like the right things? Yeah. And then are we managing our distractions and our mental energies together to get you know, a clear output? I think it's um, this idea of cognitive ways, as you explain it, is something that I think we can all relate to, because as you're as you're talking, I'm thinking of, you know, the distractions that I have. And maybe sometimes that comes from a place of fear or worry or anxiety, which is inhibitory and makes me, you know, not do things, which is wasteful. Um, but also, as you were saying, you know, this idea of confusion and not having that clarity is also uh, wasteful. Um, and you sort of know it and you're sort of experiencing, but you know, it's, um, I suppose the question then is, you know, what practical tips can we, um, you know, go to when we're sort of feeling in that sort of wasteful, um, you know, sense of mind? Yeah. Yeah, so I think the clue here is given by the body. Um, so some of you all know the concept of flow um, flow um, is uh, a, a great uh, word for the state that we get into when the challenge we're currently facing um, is at our, you know, our level of our level of highest experience. And um, so, when you're working in a way that I guess I would say is your real value-added channel, so for you know stuff that you should be doing, stuff that others probably can't do, <clears throat> stuff that is um, really your work of the team. So you're adding value at your at your best level. Uh, so you're optimally challenged when you're doing that. Um, and um, it's difficult. And uh, you'll be bringing your experience to bear. Um, but you'll still need to be cognitive. So you'll need to do a little bit of thinking because it's at that level. It's at that edge. And so what does that do to us? The body sends us a signal that uh, we are now in flow. So we lose track of time. It feels like the real us. Mm. It's energizing, not tiring. You feel like you have a sense of purpose. Yeah, and the time distortion is probably a big signal. So you just disappear into the work and forget to go home and really enjoy the day. Right, so that's the signal that you get when you are in optimum 
uh, performance mm. level. So think about you know the best athletes out there, and not here to Matt, who's going to talk about this a little bit later. If you can get to that point of flow when you're doing your work, you know then you can start talking about marginal gains, you know, and and, and improving. And to your point about anxiety, if the challenge level becomes a little bit too much, uh, then the anxiety level rises, and you break out of that state and become over anxious. Mm. And if the challenge level is too low, you get bored. Uh, and then it's very easy to um, take on other distractions. And so all of the little signs and symbols that come all over the place these days, even from your watch, you know, will grab your attention and take it away. And of course, that's energetic because you're pulled cognitively away from what you're working on. And then you have to pull your attention back. I mean, that literally uses up energy. Right? Yeah. So 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 being in a flow state will help you avoid the distractions and work. Yeah, and I suppose then it's about choosing to be distracted. So when you're in that state of, um, you know, of sort of being inefficient, sort of cognitively, um, but you know, actually choosing to be distracted by something else to sort of get you back into flow, right. rather than allowing yourself to be distracted by more negative things, is quite an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I suppose, and this is quite um, individualistic, thinking about how we are, you know, in our own minds. How does that sort of, how can we tackle that within teams? You know, if you know a group of people are sort of, um, you know, experiencing this, or yeah, what can we, how can we apply that to teams? Yeah, sure. So um, you can see here on this image, um, yeah, someone distracted, a team kind of working in flow. When the team is working together in flow, um, it tends to be quieter. You have more cognitive capacity because you're working with muscle memory, typically. Again, you know, think about um, great sports teams. Um, they do think, they do talk, they are cognitive. They just, you know, they, re they redo their plays. Um, but generally, when they are in the moment of playing, they're just playing together and they have plenty of cognitive awareness to take on other tasks because the body is doing most of the work, the pattern the competency is there so the question here i think so the, those guys on the right okay so the question here is are you know if you're in that zone are you in flow on the right stuff so you know first of all you know as a leader take a step back after everything that's gone on over the last years and just look up look down the track you know is this train heading to the right destination are we doing the right things mm. okay so that's the key start point just check ahead and then when you consider the constraints you've got in your environment at the moment, and there are so many of them, okay, strategy, what's realistic and just accept it. You know, it can be very difficult to accept a diminished strategy, you know, because not what you want necessarily, but it is what is possible. And so accepting the constraints and working with them as truths is really helpful. Once you've done that, I think just agree the top three priorities. Mm. Then give clear signposts to everybody um, as to what you want everyone to be doing. So what do they coordinate around? And then just call on the team to stop activity, which is not adding value to your core priorities, you know, and do their time management together so that they pull their mental energy into, you know, into the main tasks. And then the question is, okay, what are the rocks in the road? How do we clear those rocks out of the park? Yeah, and that ends up being, um, you know, quite a substantial amount of time where we end up having a conversation with clients and it's about actually having that time to properly talk it through clear the air um, and that's seen as you know really valuable um uh, just time well spent um otherwise you can't actually move forward along this track i suppose organizationally that leads us quite nicely uh, to thinking about the waste um, in organizations so matt when we were discussing you were coming at this from a point of different organizational approaches mm. to identifying and managing waste so what are some of the key areas that you see um, that an organization can look at that's a really good question um, 
uh, I, I really like Nick's point there to dealing with uh, the waste that's that's real. So thinking about actually what what is it you can do within the boundaries of your organization. And there's actually many, many ways to look at waste, a whole host of frameworks and tools um, and uh, different ways to diagnose and deal with waste in your business. I'm sure people probably know of a few of those. You've probably heard of the popular ones like Kaizen, the 6S's or 7 Waste in, in Lean Manufacturing. Um, there are some really, really good ones out there, actually. Um, and this actually link, links uh, nicely back to what Nick was saying, particularly around um, development of habitual waste. So thinking of them as a, a diagnostic or audit um, so we can get to the root of the problem. Uh, probably broadly speaking, there's two approaches you can take when you're starting to think about reducing waste, uh, both of which I'm going to talk to, um, but one which should be a first point of call, and that's going to be a kind of targeted approach to transformational waste changes. A good way to illustrate what I mean is to ask yourself, uh, what is the biggest waste in your business? So take a second and think about what that might be for you. Try not to get too upset. That, that goes double for you, Nick. <laughs> for a lot of people, there's going to be a really specific thing which comes to your mind. Um, so this is probably a good place to start that conversation. So even if it doesn't turn out to be the biggest thing overall, there's probably a good reason why it's at the forefront of your mind. So I've, I've mentioned there's a heap of frameworks uh, to fill in the gaps and get a, more, get a more complete view of waste in your organization. Uh, we like to use one called Seven Wastes, which breaks down into seven common areas. And it's a good framework to just get everybody thinking about where there could potentially be areas of waste in the business. So this looks at um, in inventory. It looks at uh, weighting, defects, overproduction. It looks at motion, transportation and overprocessing. Um, while these were initially developed in uh, lean manufacturing, and you can see some of the terminology kind of matches up to that, they're also translatable into other businesses. So that includes things like service provision. Um, I think we're going to share some of this around with you. So um, I'd be happy to talk anyone through it that's interested in hearing a bit more about that. So do yeah. get in touch if, if you're interested. Um, and the final thing probably to talk to is that um, when you go through these exercises, you're going to end up with far more waste identified than you can possibly deal with at once. And this is an area where people really often fall down. So it's um, sort of to what Nick was talking about, what, what you can realistically deal with. So we tend to think of this in terms of ease and impact. So how impactful is dealing with that waste going to be and how easy is it going to be to implement? So obviously you're looking to prioritize things which are highly impactful and also easy to do if you're lucky enough to uncover any gems like that. Yeah, and I suppose it's worth noting that sometimes those two things are intention. So the sort of low-hanging free and the easy things um, are maybe quite good for getting momentum and just starting to, as Nick was saying, just be different. So just make a change. And then the impactful um, items actually might be quite a, a longer, more thought through, um, maybe a research project to start with. But actually sort of tackling both of those things. I was just going to say, um, I'm sorry to interrupt your flow, Matt, but um, it's um, sort of, um, we have, as a business, have gone through this process recently. And I think it's really important that, you, you know, you're constantly reviewing things and it's just really valuable. You might, you know, recognise some of these terms, but actually, um, and we work with this quite a lot and we did it. Um, as a business and you know new things came out and that we've been able to implement straight away and so I just think it's really a great tool just to pinpoint you know those specific areas and just start making small changes it's been really helpful 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and those small changes is kind of the other side of that coin that I wanted to talk about. So it's an alternative approach um, called marginal gains. I think probably um, everybody has heard a little bit about as well. So this is not focusing on something really specific, but it's all about small incremental improvements um, across all areas, which then add up to quite a significant improvement overall. So you may have heard marginal gains or the 1% approach It's particularly popularized in professional sport, maybe most famously in cycling or Formula One. Um, I think we've got the next slide. Um, in fact, probably in Formula One, if you think about weight reduction in Formula One, it's a really easy way to envisage the principle. So obviously the lighter the car and the driver can be, the better. So overall, it might make quite a big difference to speed and handling. So achieving a low weight is done not just through the big things like lighter weight build materials, but it's done through loads of small things. So um, on race day, they probably have a car which has got thinner paint, they've got leaner drivers, and they even do things like a lighter weave in the gloves that the drivers are using. So they're probably some things which seem completely insignificant. Um, but there are many teams in Formula One who credit a lot of their success to a marginal gains approach. And this is an approach that can, that can work equally well for businesses. So, for example, you can apply marginal gains to areas we talked about before in seven wastes or pretty much any other improvement initiative you're, you're using. Um, a great example I read about recently was um, a study the government had done into energy efficiency. And they credited over a billion pounds worth of savings to encouraging the use of better light bulb technology. So it seems like a really tiny thing. Um, but when you scale it up, it actually turns out to be something really significant. So, you know, waiting an hour for your light bulbs to warm up is in fact <laughs> worth it, apparently. So you might be asking, when is it going to be appropriate to use the first thing we were talking about? And when is it going to be appropriate to use a marginal gains approach? So to be honest, if you've got areas in your business where you're seeing a really significant um, waste, you're probably not ready for marginal gains. You could probably do is looking at your not so marginal gains first. And then think back to that transformational change, impact versus ease that we talked to. And it's through constantly reducing the waste and performing better that we get to a point where marginal gains becomes um, a much more appealing strategy, although it's obviously workable in other areas as well. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, two really like great ways of looking at it. Um, and um, I think it comes back to our definition of waste at the, at the beginning, which is about what's that final output. And I think, you know, as you're describing, if that final output's not properly defined, and are we looking actually for more transforming, transforming, transformative change sorry um but if you actually have that clear goal actually it's then about the marginal you know the one percent um um that you can do yeah nick i just jump in there so i think just to, to 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 agree with you both in our work with clients i always say there's like three phases and phase one is around choosing the right activities mm -hmm. together phase two is around um restructuring all the key people's time and effort into leaning into those activities that makes a massive amount of change those two phases it's only when you've done that you can really get into optimizing optimizing yeah so. i think the thing that strikes me Excuse around me. yeah the thing that strikes me around uh formula one and it's a sort of commonly cited um case study for uh, continuous improvement but you know everything that i read about it it has a sort of culture and a sort of um 
you know, it's a culture of allowing mistakes. So uh, uh, what, what happened on Sunday um, and why did that happen? Um, I'm not sure Max Verstappen was, uh, <laughs> could put it down to marginal gains, the yellow flag incident. But um, I think it gets you thinking about actually what can organisations do? Because actually this is about creating a culture of being able to go back and look at where are those gains in a really positive way. So I suppose a question to um, maybe Matt first, but Nick, do jump in, is you know, what can businesses do to encourage this conversation in a positive way about improvements, driving out waste, you know, learning from mistakes? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a really important piece to the puzzle. So you've kind of, ident- you've got, you've done the first part, you've identified some really uh, good waste you want to start to deal with and put, start to put plans together how to address mm. those. So how do you keep a focus on waste reduction in the long term and continuously improving? So one great example of that is a process called black box thinking. Um, it's explored in a book uh, with the same name by Matthew Syed, which is a really great read. I'd encourage anyone to, to have a read through that. And um, black box thinking, it's all about learning from your failures. And it's, it's named after the process in aviation. So whenever there were major air disasters, like a plane crash, the black the black box containing all that information and flight data is scrutinized by a big team of people with the objective of looking through, identifying what's gone wrong there and building information into their current system. So the same thing is not going to fail again. So it's a style of blameless analysis around failure. So you can start to develop a culture that learns from its mistakes and is continuously improving. And is not trying to hide any of the errors, which actually would be really important information to feed back into that system to make sure that you know it's a stronger system from failure um it's also really important when you're kind of in, in flow as nick described there's an, an easy way to be knocked out of your flow is by failing and you know if, if every small failure is knocking you out of that then it's not a good working environment where it could be really unacceptable to fail and you're going to constantly be knocked out of your flow nick yeah, just to jump in on this, I think um, conflict is a common consequence of coming out of flow. It will knock you out of flow. You know, suddenly you realise that something isn't working quite right. People get emotional, so they, um, the level of um, feeling they have goes higher uh, and conflict emerges. And um, you know, conflict can be a huge source of waste if it's not resolved quickly because people just get into ruminating and, and uh, brooding about the conflict and thinking about the conflict itself rather than going to the root of the issue. Um, and it can come through status issues in teams as well as through, you know, defects and failings and what have you, because um, commonly there's these are in situations where there's a high, high load. It's a high risk. And so people are very worried about it, anxious about it. So a key thing here is to use conflict for creative problem solving and to create an environment in your team where it's OK to have conflict. where conflict is seen as normal and you use it as an energy to be productive for working that problem quickly, but resolve it fast. Yeah. as opposed to leaving it. So Nick, you just mentioned um, the, the word rumination there. And then when we were preparing for this, you were talking about the difference between reflection and rumination. I just I found it really interesting. So maybe you'd like to just share sort of the difference between the two and what's helpful and not helpful. Sure, this is from latest studies in cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, there's a new version of cognitive behavioural therapy called rumination cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, and it's discerned two different types. So um, it's obsessive thinking, so thinking in a loop. So we all do that from time to time, you know, get focused, 
hyper-focused on a particular problem or an issue or a person or something like that. And if you think about that, the amount of time and energy and attention you're placing on that could be a huge source of distraction and waste and preventing you from being able to perform and getting back into flow. And so you kind of want to get out of that, but there are these two forms that have been discovered. And one is called brooding, which I just mentioned. So that's when you are negatively thinking about a situation from a out of control perspective about it being somebody else or something else's fault mm -hmm. and that brooding um, primes emotion so it keeps the process going in a cycle okay and it gets you pretty much nowhere um, a similar type of thinking which is obsessive circular thinking is called reflective rumination so there what you're doing is you're doing the same thing you're really hyper focused on the topic but it would be like Einstein, for example, um, or you know, another example like that where people have solved a problem by really going deep on it. It's a reflective obsessive thinking um, and it's um, focused really around problem solving. And so that turns out to be not present in the mental health conditions associated with negative mm -hmm. thought spirals and very present in problem solving environments mm -hmm. and, and very helpful. Yeah. So you know, two different types. Yeah, and actually, as you're describing that, you know, what, like I think a classic example. So when you were talking about conflict earlier, you know, often that you're in conflict with somebody else and it's relational. The other, the other side of this, I think, is about so say you have you have to give a, you know, a team talk or present a strategy or, you know, maybe um, an industry talk. And actually, part of uh, that is about getting feedback, and that you know, with that absence sometimes of feedback, that leaves you to reflect or ruminate and probably a mixture of both. And just uh, one of the things that came to mind was uh, thinking about um, how do we reflect, go back and look at that. One of the things that we do, um, probably because we're presenting and facilitating, but we record ourselves in private and say so that we can only see ourselves but that's the way of looking at like maybe the one thing that you can improve on next time and actually doing that in a really I mean it's really difficult to watch yourself on camera it's not a very nice experience the first time you do it but it's really helpful because it allows you to get that feedback as if you were an audience member or were the recipient and I think you can look for these observations in yourself to find that one percent and just practice on that one thing so it might be just the first words you say and that's the one thing that you practice um so I think you know there are lots of different ways you can apply these techniques that Nick and Matt are talking about into maybe a challenge that you've got coming up so that you're not wasting your time thinking about it you're just working on making it the best it can be it's just turned nine o'clock and you might have just heard the sort of church bells go around the corner to, to let us know. Um, so um, I'll just sort of do some summary, but please, if you have questions, we would love to hear from you and um, um, yeah, just pop them in the box. And if you're brave enough to sort of come live, then please do let us know. Um, we'd be happy to take questions. So just to summarise, I think, you know, we're thinking about this in, in two different ways. You know, our own experience and the waste that we have in our mind, which is that cognitive waste, um, and actually how do we get into flow? So maybe the waste that you're thinking about that in your organisation or in the way that you do things, maybe that's an area that you could 
think about and reflect on, not ruminate. Um, but then the other uh, conversation that we've been having is the organisational waste. So, um, you know, where are you looking for the waste? Where are you having the conversations? What sort of conversations? Is that a marginal gain or is that transformative? And what approach are you going to take? And just try one thing. So we would just like you to try one thing from today, not all of it, because there's lots of different um, ideas that we've spoken about. But we would really like to take this into your working day and go what's the one thing that you can work on and do differently so um please uh, share um what that one thing is in the chat box so just for the share with everybody it'd be really nice to see so um well nick do you then want to just talk about we have uh, two upcoming strategy cafes so i'm going to hand over to nick just to talk about um who the fabulous people that we've got joining us over the next couple of months yeah just briefly so um thank you all very much for joining us during the year this year um we're we're, we're off now for christmas back in the new year and um, i think it's the 20th of january um we have um uh, alison galman who's um an alderman and sheriff of london and really heavily involved in climate action and transformational change she's been coordinating activity across the city of london thousands of business people coming together and giving real examples of how they're already getting ahead of the game on organization transformation for net zero. Um, super interesting um, and lots of insights around finance and finance initiatives that are available for business people to help with, you know, really going for it in terms of COP26 and what are we actually going to do about all of this. So I'm stoked to have Alison on. Um, and then the return of uh, the wonderful Emma Stroud, who uh, you might also know as Orange. The Orange is her clown persona. Um, Emma is a writer, performer, a trainer, um, just a brilliant person, all round brilliant person. Um, and um, she's back in February um, and we're going to talk about um, how to learn, uh, how to optimise the learning process as, as human beings. Uh, Emma is just so brilliant on this and she'll bring the concept of play back in, but also how play works with other adult, more adult type strategies. So we can talk about the whole play. Uh, and learning arena with Emma uh, and uh, you know how to teach your team how to gain knowledge quickly basically so um, two amazing strategy cafes coming up with some brilliant female leaders back to you Rosanna well just to say thank you all for listening um, we would uh, love feedback um, on strategy cafe at any time um, so please if you're enjoying it let us know what you're enjoying um, and if you think that um, you know we could do things better then we're looking for our one percent so uh, we also want our marginal gains so please just let us know um it's lovely to uh, also just be back on zoom um because it's nice to actually see your faces um and um it's um lovely to see some of you who we've not seen for a while so um we would um really appreciate any feedback uh thank you jeff for your feedback there uh, Joanna, nice to see you on here. So we'll just wrap up there. Thank you very much. And um, we'll see you on the next one.